Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will speak about Samuel the prophet as he continues his study from the book of Genesis. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we come to you this morning and each one of us has gotten the dreadful news of, uh, of our disease. We have darkness in us, Lord. And we come to you, Dr. Jesus, because you are not only our doctor, but you are our cure. You are the light. And so we pray this morning that you would cause us to hate the disease within us and come to you, our saving light. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, turn if you would again. Here we go. We're going to keep this uh, passage before us because there's, it's so pregnant with meaning. The whole book of Genesis is just, uh, just is, is, is giving birth as we come to each word, each phrase, each, each part of it. It's all new. It's a book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved or hovered upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day, or day one. God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Okay, so there we have it. Now, from the last week, I'm going to give you a review. It's a little bit of a quiz. Now you like quizzes. So what four words did the centurion with the six servants speak that tied him into our verse here, in our verses in Genesis 1, Genesis 1. What are the four words? Speak the word only. Those are, never forget those four words. Whenever you think about that centurion with the sixth servant, remember those four words that he said. Speak the word only. Why? Because those, with those four words, the Lord said he had a special kind of faith. What, what, what kind of faith did he have? Do you remember? Okay, turn to uh, Matthew 8, 8. See that? Okay, Matthew 8, 8. That's where we just saw that. And uh, what Clinton just told us, that he said, speak the word only, Matthew 8, 8 through Matthew 8, 10, actually. Tell me now, what kind of faith did he have? A great faith. He had a great faith. It wasn't just a common faith. It was a great faith, he said. This faith, faith was so great, the Lord said, that... He didn't find it among the Jewish people. There was a desert uh, 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 in, among the Jewish people, among Israel, for this type of faith, a great faith. Now, what was so great about the centurion's faith? What was it? What are the two things that those four words that he said, what did it show that he believed? The first thing was that he believed Genesis 1-3, that, in the, that God created. That's a little unusual. You know, not everybody believes. Did you know that? Not everybody believes Genesis. I don't know if you knew that or not. But uh, not everybody believes Genesis. Most notably, uh, what's his name? Richard Dawkins, he doesn't believe Genesis. He had a debate a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago, a few days ago. Anyway, last week. With uh, the Archberry of, Archberry of Canterbury. 
He never asked permission if he could use my name for the Archbishop of Canterbury, but anyway, it doesn't matter. He had his debate, and, uh, and, with, uh, and in this debate, he said he wasn't 100% sure that there wasn't a creator. Quite an admission from Richard Dawkins. He wasn't 100% sure. He said he was 6.9 out of 7. I don't know why he took a scale of 7, but anyway, 6.9 out of 7. I don't, not 6.8, 6.7, 6.9 out of 7 that there, that there was no creator. So not everybody believes that. So this centurion believed this. He believed that Genesis is true, Genesis 1, 3 is 2, that God spoke and it was. Second thing, as Scott has pointed out, he believed, which was most remarkable, he was addressing the one who said those words, let there be light. That was amazing. And that was the great faith that he believed there. All right. Everything's new in the book of Genesis. Think of it that way. Everything's new. When we started off in Genesis 1-1, and, from, and we start off there, we learn new things, new things about God. What's the two, give me two words that we learn about God in Genesis 1-1. God creates. Think about it. God creates. That's a remarkable new thing we learn when we come to the book of Genesis. God is a creating God. God is a making God. Now, I want you to, to, to really think about this. Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, you know, being God created, yeah, what else is new? No, no, no. I want you to come to the book of Genesis like a four-year-old. I want you to come like a kid. I, I hope you didn't uh, to, to take me, get me the wrong way when last, or a few weeks ago, when I said I wish we all had Alzheimer's. I realize Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, but there is a nice part about it. And that is that you, that, that you forget what you knew before, and so you're always discovering things new, even though you've seen it before. That's a nice thing for us to, to, to practice. Do you know that? It's very, very nice. You know, we should all kind of be like that. We should be like uh, Bert Poole's song, Never lose the wonder of Jesus' love and what he's done for you. Never lose the wonder. Never lose the thrill. Never lose the, the, the excitement of it all. And so that's why it's very important. You know, when I, was, uh, when I was first saved, I would come and I'd learn things and I'd get out my Bible and I'd, my pencil, I'd say, oh, I can't remember, forget that. So I'd write in here and I'd put all these notes and before you know it, you couldn't even see the Bible text. There were notes all over the place. And viewers went by and I, I, I totally changed. You can go to any of my Bibles, they're whistle clean. You know. Why? Because I got tired of writing? No. Because... I always wanted to come to the scripture as if I never found, if I never knew it before. I wanted to come to the scripture and, and read that and go, "Oh, I don't know what's going to happen." Well, I kind of knew, but anyways, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. They go, "Oh, he healed the man." Oh, that's great. Keep the wonder of it all, the thrill of it all. Okay, first the, the thing we learned about God in, verse, in the first one: God is creating God. Second thing we learned about God in verse two: very simple four-year-old question. Four-year-old answer, what's the answer? Because it's about God. There was darkness, but it's about God. We're looking for what we learned about God. God creates. God hovers. God cares. That's what we learned about in in verse two. God cares. God cares. Very important. Very important about about God. God cares. Okay, now we come to verse three, and what do we learn about God in verse three? Two words, four-year-old question, four-year-old answer again. God speaks. God speaks. 
You know, we don't know that. The, again, pretend we got Alzheimer's. But we don't know anything. We, we, we come to it, we go, God speaks. Do you know how wonderful that is? God speaks. You know, it's a phrase, Vayomer is how it says, Vayomer, Vayomer Elohim. It's a famous phrase. It occurs 39 times throughout the Old Testament, and, and it's, it, it's always translated, and God said. It's a wonderful truth. God speaks. But there's a problem there's a problem. And look at Job 33:14. Turn to that, please. Job 33:14. We're talking about the wonder of it all that God speaks. 33:14. And uh, okay. So uh, what does it say? It says, okay, you read it. Now let me ask you the question. How many times does God speak? He, he spe- yeah, he speaks once, and then he speaks another time. That makes twice, right? <laughs> he speaks once, he speaks twice. In other words, he, he speaks and speaks. In other words, he even, can, he even repeats. Even when necessary, he even repeats. But what's the problem, according to that verse? Man doesn't perceive. See? For God speaketh once, yea, twice. Yet man perceiveth it not. That's the problem. It's not a problem that God is not speaking. It's a problem that man is not perceiving that he spoke. Perceiving that he spoke. Why? God speaks in many, many ways. But man doesn't perceive, oh, that was God who spoke there. I want you to turn to a very important passage in 1 Samuel 3, verse 4, which really becomes the... The, this passage becomes the marking characteristic of the prophet Samuel for his whole life. And he's just a little boy. And, and of the greatness of Eli in, in teaching, at least Samuel, it's wonderful. Okay, uh, 1 Samuel 3, 4. You have it? All right, here we go. That the Lord called Samuel. So the Lord called Samuel. And he answered... Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called you not. I called, I called, I called not. Lie down again. That's it, Bill. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, is what he said, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I, I, called, I called not my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had had called the child. Just a little guy. Anyway, therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called him at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Now he's just a little guy. He's just a little child, as it says there. He'd been dedicated to the Lord by his mother Hannah. Wonderful, wonderful about her. She'd been infertile. Uh, uh, she was infertile. Uh, it's just important to know that in, in, in some of our research, when we uh, talk with in, uh, infertile couples, or as we did in interviewing, that's a very serious pain. 
And um, usually it's defined if you go two years, you can't have children. Well, she had gone all of her married life and she didn't have a baby. And it was a serious, serious pain. Oh, You know, this uh, child that was uh, murdered over here in Lakeside that was stabbed to death by his little boyfriend. You may have seen that in the news. It is a a wonderful Christian couple and the boy was a believer as well. Did you know that they went 10 years in infertility before they had that only child? Think of that. Here's Hannah. She'd gone all of her lifetime and finally she has this baby. No assurance at all that she would have any other. This for all, she knew this was her one and only and she gave that child to the Lord. She dedicated him to the Lord. And she said, I'll keep him until he's weaned. You can imagine he was the oldest boy that ever got weaned. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the father might have glared at him. Say, what do you Anyway, and then she gave him to the Lord. And she gave him in the temple there, little coat and everything. So picture the scene. Here is Samuel in the service of God. He's diligently doing all the work that he's told to do in the tabernacle. He's an obedient little fella. He's, he's just there all the time. He's, 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 he's cleaning up there for the ashes, the sacrifice, everything. He's, he's getting all the ash pans ready. He's getting all the flesh hooks ready. He's an obedient little guy, even to two of Eli's sons that were absolutely wicked, very wicked, but he obeys. And he does his job, and he does all the grunt work that's required there. And he's just, he's just, he's just very, he's just doing everything that God expected him to do, that people expected him to do. He's there. There's only one problem, just one problem with him. And it's stated in that verse that we looked at, verse 7. He didn't know the Lord. He was religious. He was all about the service. Oh, he could quote to you the Torah. He was infused with the letter of the, of, the, of the Torah, of the word of the Lord. But he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. It's kind of tragic when you read that. He knew the service of God. He knew the work of God. He just didn't know the Lord. So there was like this big giant hole in his heart. There was this hollowness, this emptiness, the, this so unfulfillingness of it all. Because it was just, I mean, there was a fulfillment of doing the work, but it was... Oh, religious, dry religious. He didn't know the person of the Lord. We might say he didn't know the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it explains what it meant that he didn't know the Lord. It says the word of the Lord was not revealed to him. He didn't know the Lord. The word of the Lord was not revealed to him. A person can know the Bible backwards and forwards, still not know the Lord. Tom, today you spoke about your desire to keep your friendship with God fresh. Just today, one of our listeners actually called in and expressed her desire to have a better friendship with God. How can a person get closer to God? This is such an important question. And we have to really look carefully into the Word of God to see that He has given us specific guidelines for how to have a close or better friendship with God. 
You know, when we think back on the time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, it's very interesting because for 45 years, they were wandering around in the wilderness and they had nothing to eat except for one food. And that one food was a small wafer that says that it tasted like uh, coriander seed. It was called manna. And every morning when they got up, they went out and they collected the same food every single day. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I think I would get very tired. I know I get very tired right now if I eat the same food all the time. But this was a very, very unique food because this food came down from heaven. God provided it every day. And the people never grew tired of it, except for one time, but then they were rebuked for that. But they, but what it says about this manna in Numbers 11.8, it says, and the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills and or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as fresh oil. It says the taste was was as the taste of fresh oil. You know, that's a picture of the Word of God. The Word of God every day to us has got to be like fresh oil. We have to come to the Word of God, and we have to say and believe and have this expectation in our heart that God is going to speak to us freshly from his word. That Bible is going to be a fountainhead for us of new water that's come out that we've never drunk before. In Psalm 119, verse 18, David, king of Israel, he gives us his prayer that he made to God, and his prayer was like this, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. How do we keep the Word of God, the Bible, fresh every day? By prayer, by coming to it, and seriously asking God to open our eyes. You know how it is when you wake up in the morning and you, you rub your eyes and you get the matter out of your eyes and you, and, you, and you open them up and you see that's the way God says we need to come to the Bible. Oh God, all the distractions of the day before, all the worries that are encroaching into my, my, my mind and, and is drawing me away. I, as I rub my spiritual eyes, I'm rubbing all those worries away. I'm rubbing all those distractions away. And I'm asking you, oh God, open my eyes. Why? Because he said, I need to behold wondrous things, things which will amaze me, things which will thrill me, things which will connect with the needs in my life. Those are wondrous things out of thy law, right out of the word of God. So one step is to come to the Bible every day and to expect to create a, 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 a atmosphere of expectation. Before you open the Bible, don't open the Bible before bowing your head and saying to God, oh God, I fill this room with my expectation. My expectation is that you're going to speak to me from this word, something new, something fresh, something that I've never seen before or I've never seen it in that way before. That's going to be a wondrous thing coming out of thy law. And I'm going to get that because you are going to open my eyes. And then 
David further goes on, and in Psalm 51.10, in that great psalm of the of the renewal of David after the terrible sins that he had created, that he had done, rather, he says in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. You know, it's oftentimes been said, and it's true, that as far as the Bible go, it goes that either the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Sin makes the relationship with God cold and religious and traditional and dead. And sin has to be cleaned up, just like you would take a broom and and sweep up dirt off the floor. And so David came and he said to God, oh God, my heart is dirty, but you can create in me a clean heart. And as you create the clean heart in me, then you'll renew the right spirit in me. What's the right spirit? Just what we've been talking about, that you come to God with this sense of expectation that he's going to speak. Now, there was a, in, in Isaiah, There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, and it's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, and it's giving us insight into his daily life. And what it says here is it says that the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. You know, sometimes that's us. Sometimes we're the ones who are weary and we're the ones who need to receive the word in season from God because we're the ones that need to be revived. And so he says this, he says, he wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. There was never a day that went by when the Lord Jesus Christ missed his quiet time with God in the morning. Never a day. Every day, if you were living with him when he was here on earth, you could count, bet your bottom dollar, that every morning he's going to be up there on that hillside, on that mountainside, outside, looking to God, morning by morning. That's what it says. That's what it means when it says, morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear. That's the way we need to live our lives. Every morning, we need to get up and say, oh, God, as my body has gotten up and I'm woken up, waken my ear that I may hear. You see, so we don't have an ear that's still asleep, but an ear that God wakes up so that we can hear him. It says in Isaiah 50, uh, verse 5, the next verse says, the Lord God hath, hath opened mine ear. See, first was the prayer that he, first was the statement that he woke, that he woke him, he woke up morning by morning, and then God would uh, open his ear. And then he said, the Lord has opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. That's important. You know, what you're going to, what we find is that when there is something that's not right in our lives, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's something that we want to do that's not in line with what God wants to do, you can be sure that when you come to the Bible, that that Bible is going to be like a, like a spotlight coming off of that page, shining right into your heart, revealing what we've done wrong, revealing what's not in accordance with what God wants, revealing a bad attitude, revealing something that needs to be done. Maybe we need to go back to someone and say, we're sorry. Maybe we need to make something right. You can be sure of that. That's what's going to happen. And so when we pray that prayer, be careful, because when we pray that prayer for God to open our, our ears, 
He's going to do it. And we may, we may not like what we hear. We may not like, but it's for our good. And so the key there is response, response, have the right response. And that's really what Isaiah is saying there when he says, the Lord God hath opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. You know, there's a picture that the, that, that God painted of his, of his Jewish people when he was telling them what was wrong. And in one place he said of them, you pulled the shoulder away. You pulled the shoulder away. What a picture. Can't you just picture you're walking along? Just picture your friend. You're walking along. You're, 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 you're dead set to go do something. You know your friend's not exactly in agreement with you, wants to stop you. Your friend puts his hand on your shoulder, and you just pull your shoulder away and you say, as if to say, get your hands off of me. You know, that's what God says that sometimes his people do with him when he says, you pulled the shoulder away. In other words, that's not the response that God wants. The response that God wants is where a person would stop, we would stop, we'd, we'd, we would, as it says, not be rebellious, not turn away back, and we would turn away, turn, turn, turn to God and say, yes, you're my friend I welcome that you have put your hand on my shoulder. I welcome that, Lord. And that's what he means when he says in this verse, the Lord hath opened mine ears and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Thank you for joining us today. This message and previous messages are available for listening and free to download from our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can also obtain a copy of today's broadcast through us by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. And we also have resources that are available to you as well. So give us a call at 1-800-247-3051. And we'd like to hear about what you like about friendship with God. You can also find us on Facebook or send us an email to tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at the same time.